Hello, everybody. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I'm here to say hello from Reinvent Yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. I have Tanya Ezekiel, who's CEO and executive coach of a group um, which is called Conductive. And she's going to talk not only about her personal reinvention, but also about how the heck we're going to reinvent ourselves in what I call the post-COVID world, which I think is gonna be quite different. And I think she's got some great tips and tricks at the end of the podcast, so hang on till you get to the end. Um, That will really help you uh, just in general with your personal development and then also to decide whether coaching is the thing that you want to do. I know there are tons and tons of coaches out there. What's interesting about Tanya is she had spent time on Wall Street and because of her personality and her background, she turned it into a big business, um, unlike solopreneurs. And it's, I'm just fascinated by the fact that she decided to go in a different route than a lot of people I know who do, who do coaching. So, um, I think you're going to really enjoy Tanya. And I think what's really interesting is how she talks about, yes, everything is changing and this is the time to make those changes. And she's really talking about identifying who you want to be when you come out of this situation. We are in a time of change. And how do you identify who you want to be when you come out of that? And I think that's a really good starting point for our discussion here. Keep that in mind, and you will hear a long list of ideas that track toward that solution there. So thank you so much for joining us, and here is Tanya Ezekiel. So hello, Tanya. I'm so glad we got you. This is fantastic. Thanks, Leslie. Thanks for having me. So um, I just want to tell everybody if they hear rolling thunder in the background, it's because in Louisiana, after having gorgeous weather, it's decided to empty the heavens. And because I've been tracking Tanya for a while, we're going ahead with this anyway. So who knows what crazy things can happen when you podcast from home these days, right, Tanya? Yes, like a four-year-old running in to interrupt, even though the door is locked. <laughs> right there, you go. So we don't know. This this will add tension and excitement to the to the <laughs> event here. So let's talk a little bit about your history, because people will be really interested in how you made your reinvention and your segue. You um, were a bonds option trader at Solomon Brothers in Bank of America, and that was the heavy duty days of, you know, my, my husband was in finance and he, you know, he didn't tell me then, but he tells me now about the, they treated women terribly back then. Yes, definitely enough material there for a conference. (laughs) So what was that like? And what was that like for a woman? Was it, I mean, exciting or why did you end up in that? Interesting. I really ended up in, ended up in, uh, on wall street because I was, I was just passionate about the topic primarily and, uh, and the thing that really made it happen was I was at McGill in my undergrad. I'm from, originally from Montreal. And one day we took a trip to Wall Street and visited a couple of firms and Solomon Brothers was one of them. And the minute I stepped foot on the trading floor, they allowed us to walk around the trading floor as a you know, 19-year-old who had just read Liar's Poker. Wow. I, I just, I fell in love with the energy. I just lit up and at the time it was very loud, 
very energized. There was no electronic trading. It was lots of yelling and excitement. And, and I just thought, wow, I really, I want to work here. And so I spent the next five years getting there. I kept applying from business, from uh, McGill undergrad and getting these polite letters back. No, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. I didn't know anyone or anything, but I was still trying. Then I applied to Cornell business school and in my application, it said, I want to come to Cornell to study with a couple of derivatives professors uh, and so that I can be an options trader at Solomon Brothers. And I was very, I was young. Cornell accepted me at 23 and, and uh, cause I was very clear about what I wanted to do. The minute I got to business school, I started, uh, I, I found myself at Solomon Brothers trading floor and every week until they hired me pretty much. So it took, it took a while and uh, I started working there. I was in the class of July the 96, which was probably the last Solomon Brothers class before it became Solomon Smith Barney and Citigroup, et cetera. Then from there, I had a couple of stops and um, ended up at Bank of America late 2003, early 2004. I was there for about uh, four or five years. And the job I had there was in markets and uh, I created a function called Global Sales Business Development. And at the time, the, we were really in a boom. The markets were expanding and the clients were, were, I guess, firms were trying to be more and more creative on how they service clients across the platform. So I created a business development function that really brought together every part of the firm and served clients holistically, not just on the sales side, but also on the operational side. And I got promoted to managing director for that. And a few years later, just uh, decided uh, in 2008 when I knew when I knew what was going on in the in the markets in the summer of 2008, I thought you know maybe it's time to do something totally different. And my husband was at Credit Suisse at the time. We didn't have children, and yet and uh, and he said, if not now, then when? Which it, which is interesting because if you think about that, if not now, then when? We're probably going to mention that again when we talk about today right and it was just it was a turning point for me that if not now then when and it has been a turning point for me uh, many times like a tipping point even where uh, when I think of doing something and then there's that tipping point moment and you just have to say if not now then when and so I walked out thinking I would just go back in six months but a month later it was September 08 uh, and then the, the the crash the mergers and then early the following year, I, uh, I got back into finance from a consulting perspective. I had a lot of friends around the street saying, come do this for us, come do that for us. But what really happened a few months forward was I found myself in a coaching certification class. And the minute I got there, I knew this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. It was just this, this knowing that it was a knowing and it was a recognition of skills I probably always used in my career that were just revealing themselves finally and making sense and creating a career. So in 2000, late 2010, early 2011, I started, I started up my coaching company and we've had a, just a fantastic, uh, we're in our ninth, 10th year now. And what makes coaching, what's the segue between what you were doing before and coaching, what are you using that's the same? What are the skills? What are the, was the environment the same? What do you see as the segue there? Or was it completely different and you walked away from everything you knew? I, I don't think it's ever completely different. It's the, the real question um, 
you know, the question we have to ask ourselves is less about what I've done, but who am I and how do I operate? So when I thought back, and in some ways it was a little accidental, like I said, it re revealed itself, right? But, and, but when I thought back, I realized my, at the beginning, I was 25 years old. I was one of five female traders around globally at Solomon Brothers. So I was doing the thing that I was passionate about. And then over the next 10 years, I got promoted and, and now I'm in my mid to late 30s. Uh, and it wasn't as much about the thing as it was about the people, right? And, and I don't want to say that too, too lightly because it really was about, I realized in hindsight that what made me successful at my job was knowing how to get people doing what they need to be, they need to do. And, and, and now I would even say, not only do we help people do what they need to do, we help people be who they need to be. And that's really the secret sauce. So when I think back at that career, and again, some of it is just kind of run, pause, reflect, run, pause, reflect, run, pause, reflect, I realized that that was the pattern. You know, I started doing a thing and then realizing that parts of the thing were routine, parts of the thing were enlightening. And the enlightening, the enlightenment usually came through other people. So where I was able to solve meaningful problems uh, at my jobs was when I was able to solve significant people. <laughs> and that's really, where, that's really how, it, when I say that moment of enlightenment, when I, I started getting certified as a coach, I, it, it, it made sense to me. It wasn't as deliberate. Even though I went to the first weekend of coaching thinking, oh, this sounds like a cool personal development thing. I didn't realize I'm going to become a coach. And then I immediately knew I am a coach and always will be a coach. So coaching, I hate to say, um, for me um, at this point, has become the real estate of 2020. It seems like everybody's a coach. It's very hard to differentiate between coaches. There's brain coaches, body coaches, health coaches, executive coaches, personal coaches, marriage. I mean, every, and, and very different levels, Tanya, of qualifications. And one of the big issues for everybody is, what's the difference between a coach and a psychologist? And how do you differentiate yourself as a coach so that you're not just a hopeful trying to, to, to get along in this new segue that you've made. And you've made this a giant business. So maybe talk about that too. So many good questions and uh, absolutely questions that we've, we've all uh, thought about. And you're right, it is a lot like real estate in that the bar to entry is pretty low, right? Um, I don't have to apply and get admitted to real estate school. I don't have to apply and get admitted usually to coaching school. So the bar is pretty low. And, but the ability to succeed is not obvious and it's not, it's, it, and not everyone possesses that. And there's a, there's a couple of reasons for that. So starting with the bar is very low and I don't know, maybe it's good that the bar is low for real estate. It's great that the bar is low for coaching. And, I, and I'll tell you why, because if people go to, you know, if people go to coaching with the right intention, even if they don't become coaches, they learn communication skills and interpersonal skills that helps society, period, <laughs> right? So if everyone walked out with coaching skills, even if they don't start a coaching business, we're all better off. Also, if they, if they do apply those skills, it's because they connected to being in service to help other people. Again, 
great contribution, right, to society if we uptick slightly people's desire to be in service to help other people, whether they become successful biz, uh, coaches or successful uh, coaching business uh, owners like I am. It's um, either way, I think we all benefit by that. Now, what um, you, you asked the question about what differentiates between uh, uh, coaching and psych psychology and the coaching can be therapeutic just like any relationship is there any one-on-one -on -one relationship is therapeutic like having a relationship with with a personal trainer is therapeutic to me right because it's a commitment i make it's an evolution i sign up for it's a it's a commitment the other person makes to my well-being all in all we're both going to benefit from that and it will be therapeutic for both of us frankly because that person is is giving me energy that that i transform with right so uh, so in that way, it's therapeutic. And, you know, these days, therapists have evolved as well. So I, I, I'm going to speak a little bit, um, compare perhaps more to the traditional uh, models of therapy, because a lot of coaches, a lot of therapists now um, know how to coach as well. And they apply, I mean, coaching is a skill we all should be using in everyday, in everyday life. Uh, so co coaching, especially the way we coach, so if, if it'll help to be more specific, is can be very action oriented. Again, it depends on the coach, right? You can have a very coachy therapist and you can have a very, you know, therapy like coach. But um, to focus on what I'm most familiar with, which is uh, our approach, first of all, we'll go wherever the client needs to go, right? Because at the end of the day, it's not about my agenda and my, my intention. It's about what, what my client needs to get where they want to go. And it's my job to pull that out of them and to support them and give them the energy and the structure and the plan they need to get there. But at the end of the day, it's my sensitivity to their needs that will get them there in addition to my expertise in applying um, actually a very data-based approach to coaching. We do a very, very powerful uh, leadership assessment, which I, I think uh, you and I have spoken about called the, the Hogan. We apply that. So we start from a place of let's gather the information and let's understand who you are and how you operate. And I say that again because it's so meaningful. It's not just about let's understand what you've done. We all know what you've done. I can read your resume. I can look at your LinkedIn profile. What I, what's going to bring out the best in you is a sense that I understand who you are and how you operate. So I know that any situation that I can guide you through, you are going to be, I'm going to help you be consistent in your positive behaviors, and I'm going to help you increase your self-management of your derailing behaviors. That's interesting. I like that derailing behaviors. <laughs> Talk a little bit about um, why so many women reinvent as coaches and, and how do they get to, what's the difference, I mean, between, you know, the average coach who's struggling over here to get clients and visibility and all that and how you made this into a giant business did you kind of take your corporate brain and add it to that like what's the difference there because i think that's of interest to you know some of the smaller coaches who look at you and would love to be you there are many parts to, to that answer uh, first it did help that i had a business education business background and a mind for, uh, an eye, I should say, for opportunity. So when I uh, first got exposed to coaching, and remember, I got certified 
10 years ago now. So even that has changed a lot in the last 10 years. But when I got certified 10 years ago by IPEC, which is the school I went to, uh, I realized that um, it was pretty loose at the time and that it wasn't very business focused. It was more about uh, it was more life coaching focused, which was great for me because I already had the business background. And I actually also had um, uh, quite a bit of spiritual education through Kabbalah, which is what opened my eyes uh, in 2008 to the possibilities of doing something different. Um, and so when uh, IPEC really helped bring, bring all those things to one place for me. So it made a lot of sense for me, but it helped me realize that, wow, my understanding of consciousness, which was a word we use openly now, we weren't using as openly 10 years ago, but what Kabbalah taught me about consciousness and applying that consciousness in real life, combine that with my business expertise, which was, you know, I'm a trader at heart. I like action. I like change. I like results, right? So combine that and then you put it into a framework with real coaching uh, skills, then that, that was a very powerful combination for me because I, I saw the opportunity. Now, in addition to that, I saw the opportunity to help people. And so right away, uh, I, I'll, I'll be honest, when I got, I started, uh, I had clients before I even finished my certification. My first clients were even before the end of my certification. And with, as soon as I uh, graduated from IPEC, within three months, I was fully booked and waitlisted. I didn't know what was going on. I was coaching 30 people a week and there were people waiting for others to come off so they can start. And, and what, and, and this is, was the turning point to how I created a business out of it. I was working 80 to hundred hours a week. Uh, I didn't have children at the time. My husband and I were both in finance. We were used to working like that. And then at some point I realized, wow, this is really helping people. And if I really want to help people, I don't want to be limited by my own physical capacity. And that's where I realized, can I train people to help others the way I am? And then again, business hat back on, I can really scale this and I can scale this because I want to help more people. So when you add like I said, that, that trio of the consciousness, the, the coaching certification, the, uh, the Wall Street education and the business education, but then you really light that up, right? Like you light that fire up with, this is working and I want to help more people. It's not enough to limit my capacity to help others by my calendar. And that's, that's, where, uh, that's where I started hiring people. And uh, we have a team of coaches now. We have a, a phenomenal space in midtown Manhattan uh, near Bryant Park and, uh, and really driven by we want to help people and we can only help people if I know how to run a business. If I don't know how to run a business, I'm not going to help many people because I can't scale it. What do women bring to coaching, do you think, that's different than men or maybe nothing? Well, I can't say nothing because over the years, I interview, you know, nine out of 10 women, right? So, so I can't say it's nothing because then I'd be ignoring what's right in front of me, which is I don't interview as many uh, male coaches that I would hire as I interview female coaches that I would hire. And uh, part of it is especially because I, I hire women who you and I have spoken about, which is our sweet spot here. And I hire women who have already had a career, who have already succeeded in, in many ways, and who 
um, who have been there, done that, and are ready to help others succeed. So, so it's not just women, but it's women in their 40s, 50s, right? So, and what they bring is partly, um, we're just at a different place on the curve. Like, I don't have to, uh, I'm not, you know, when I was 25, 30, 35, I was working it because I wanted to check all those boxes, right? I wanted to check the seven figure box. I wanted to check the managing director box. I wanted to check the, you know, global team leader box, whatever those meant to me. I wanted to check a lot of those boxes, including the, I want to get married box and I want to get, have children box, right? Like, so, you know, for, for me and for a lot of the uh, women I interview as coaches, it's, we've checked a lot of those boxes that are important to us. And so now we're ready to, to, uh, I'll just put others in front of in front of me because I want to be careful because sometimes we overdo that as women, which our men are less likely to do. Uh, but I know how to balance um, giving and knowing, and this is a capitalistic concept, is knowing that when I give, I will receive. And it's not when I receive, I will have enough to give. It's when I give, I will receive. Because once I'm in that circuit, once I'm in the circuitry, then I'm I'm not working the, the, the success is not coming from me. The results aren't coming from me. They're coming through me. And it's my responsibility to create that flow. And I believe women just uh, in many ways understand what it means to flow for others. That's interesting. I like that. Now let's talk about what the heck does this mean now that we're in the age of COVID where everything is changing, everything is falling apart. I really believe there's going to be, you know, before COVID, BC and AC. (laughs) How do you see this now, AC? How is this going, how does coaching world look to you? And what does that mean for the opportunity for women 40, 50, 60? Well, well, even the, uh, the, the COVID era has its own phases, right? And, and, I'll, and I'll speak to this because I personally even have been through those phases. I was tested positive in the first couple of weeks. Uh, and I was surprised, obviously, because we uh, ran out of the city to get away from it. And the first night we came to our, our home, uh, I, I had a fever. And my husband and I just looked at each other like we didn't just pack the car and run away for you to bring the fever to our safe space. Did we like, yeah, I did. So, so, um, so it's interesting because I I've been through that first phase in the first three weeks. It was, you know, it's unfortunately it's a virus that, uh, that persists and has longer effects than just like what we thought. And I myself thought, Oh, it's a flu, right? It's, it, it's unfortunately more than, more than a flu. So, so the, the COVID era even has its phases. So the, and the first phase was also accompanied from a business perspective on a cri- uh, with a crisis management phase, right? So at the same time as those who were sick, especially in New York, realized they were sick, at the same time, they had to uh, immediately transform their mostly on-site businesses to off-site businesses. And that was a very big deal. Like from what, as I was coaching uh, CEOs and senior executives at at large, large companies, the first two, three weeks for them was just this crisis of who needs a computer? How do we do that? Do we have the, do we even have the bandwidth to support it? Can we do video? Can we not do video? So that crisis phase was the first few weeks. And then I feel the last couple of weeks, we've really settled into, okay, I'm not reacting to a crisis anymore. So going back to who am I and what is my role now? 
And this is really the moment of transformation, uh, I believe. And, and I want to be thoughtful because there's, there's almost two, there's, uh, you know, there's two types of input, right? There's the input that's coming in, whether it's through social media and news or whatever, that everything is dark and dire. And then the, and there's another input coming in, which is light and, and spiritual, which is this pause is a, is a moment of transformation. And it is, and I want to be sensitive to both because they coexist. Remember one of the, one of the things I said to uh, some girlfriends early on, uh, one day I texted them, I'm like, is it okay to feel like I'm having a really crappy day? And at the same time, know that, that some good will come of this or, or do I have to surrender one for the other? And the reality is you don't, you can live in two worlds and you have to, as a leader, live in two worlds because I might be having a good day and somebody on my team might not. And I have to remember that it's not, the world is not just how I see it, but we are all having our own experience, different experience every single day. But how do you see the world of coaching and women's thinking about transforming themselves from whatever they were doing into coaching? Do you see more opportunity, less opportunity? What's your vision for how is this is going to impact the world of coaching? And, and I'm asking you to, obviously you don't have facts and figures, none of us do, but you're, you're an expert in the area. What comes to your imagination of, of the good and the bad of, of so that people who are saying, maybe I want to reinvent this way, yeah. what are you thinking? Uh, I will say it's going to go both ways. The what, there, there are a lot of coaching businesses, unfortunately, um, who will not survive this like any business, especially if you're a solopreneur, right? If this is a source of income and, and you're a one woman band, you have to have pretty consistent business and pretty consistent following and an ability to, uh, to win business at a really unusual time in an unusual way, right? So uh, unfortunately, I believe a lot of coaching practices and I wouldn't say, I don't know if they're businesses but practices at least will not survive this now as a coaching business leader I'm thinking wow I might be able to hire some pretty talented coaches now because in these last few months they may not want to you know um, earn it themselves anymore right and so there I think is, is an opportunity for coaching businesses to recruit some pretty talented coaches who want to be part of a team, right? And on the other side, because it's a transform transformative moment, almost any tra transformative moment is going to, to convert people into, into helpers, healers, right? whatever the word. So inevitably, some people will emerge through this phase wanting to be in service to others. What reinforces that especially is this is such a self-consumed time <laughs> and it's, it's hard not to be self-consumed, right? Wake up every day. How do I feel? How's my family? Am I productive today? Am I comfortable? Oh, I wish I had this. I wish I had that. I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. So it's a time that's so um, easy to, to be completely uh, consumed with our own well-being that a, a good number of us will re, kind of bounce out of this almost desperate to help others. Um, that's that's from, Now, a bunch of us will also come out of this forgetting what it was like to help others because 
we went through, we, we unfortunately changed our habits to be more self-reflective, right? So to answer your question about what does it do for coaching, I think it does both. I think it really helps some people think about, wow, do I really want to work on my own? Do I want to be on my own? Do I want to, do I want to coach and write up my own materials and do my own business development and all that? Maybe not. And then on the other side, some people will say, wow, that was, I guess I always wanted to change my career. This really, you know, made it happen. And now's the time to do something that's for others. And you, and I'm glad you mentioned coaching, not just in, in the coaching that we do, which is more uh, executive leadership team and, and career focused, but all kinds of coaching. Right? all kinds of coaching. I have a nutrition coach through this phase because, you know, the first few weeks, you know, I got into old habits at being at home all the time, old emotional, stressful habits. And so I went back to my nutrition coach. And so, and if it, and I talk to her one, one to three minutes every morning at nine forty, and it's all I need. And I have a, pl a plan, but coaching is very powerful. More, the better. There aren't enough coaches in the world. That's interesting. And so do you think though, with the cost of things and how the whole cost structure is changing, do you think that people will be able to afford it? Or do you think that people will come up with different ways of packaging costs? Because corporations are going to need more coaching probably because they're going to be so absolutely having to rethink everything they do, right? That's but exactly the, what happened. The but the individual is going to be more need and more need of coaching, but probably less financially set for that. No. Well, let me answer that in two parts. Uh, first, the need, then the then the then the money. Right. So uh, that's what we saw happen. The first four weeks, it's freeze the budgets. Can't do this now. I know we were going to start. Let's wait. And then, and I'll quote uh, one of my clients who said, "I got as far as I could on my own." Right? And then that realization that, wow, okay, I, I did need to see where this all shook out for me. And now that I'm in a routine and I have my habits and I'm doing what I, pretty much the same thing today as I did yesterday, I do need that help to take it to the next level. So I do believe the need is going to be more pronounced because we've had a time to reflect and we had a time without that interaction, right? And without, um, like I said, very in our own home, as opposed to re realizing and remembering that we all help each other and we help each other grow because I can bring out the best in you. You can bring out the best in me. I don't always bring out the best in myself, right? I can go as far as I can on my own until I, someone else can help me go further. So, so the need may become more pronounced. And we did see a lot of clients, like, you know, uh, corporations, individuals in the last couple of weeks saying, this is going to last longer than I thought. I'm not going to delay this anymore. I want to transform. I want to take it to the next level. Let's do it now. And frankly, this video thing works better than I thought. Right. <laughs> and, and in terms of the, the money, it, it's a question of value more than anything. And it's, and it's true. You could say it's the most valuable thing in the world and you still don't have the, the, the funds for it. And, and that's where there are a lot of coaches and a lot of people willing to help. It's a question of finding the coach who, you know, you might still have to stretch a little bit, right? Because the, 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 the best coaches just do charge more because it's a supply and demand game. It's not for any other reason. It's that if I can only coach, say, 
you know, 20 clients a week, then at 20, I can't take a 21, right? So, and if more people are willing to pay, then my price keeps going up. It's really an economics game. Um, but there are absolutely coaches who are starting their practice, who you can catch at the right time, who have the skill and who have the will and, and who have more capacity and maybe more flexible with pricing. So, but the value is, and talking to any of our clients, we, we just focus on the value. And we should all be focused on the value on everything, right? Like, why do we buy organic? Why pay $4 for those strawberries instead of two? Right. So in closing, Tanya, what would you say, one or two tips that you would leave our listeners with um, that would give them insight into whether, you know, how, if they wanted to transform the way you did? Kind of what's the sophisticated, not 101, but the, you'd tell your best girlfriend about like why you did it, how you did it, or things that you need to know if you're going to do it. Is there any learning you can pass along your words of wisdom? Yes, um, definitely. So the one thing, the, the place to start is to know that things are changing, right? And so this idea that I'm going to go back to this and back to that, I don't know what I'm going back to, frankly. I might go back to the same gym. I might not. You know, like there are a lot of things I might not go back to. So this idea that things are changing and as hard as it is to embrace the unknown, that's where the magic is, right? So you know, this idea that this my reinvention and right now I'm reinventing, right? I can't help it. We're all going, we're all reinventing. My reinvention will emerge, unfold, reveal. I'm not going to make it happen. My job is to position myself in the flow that will ease that reinvention. And so there are ways to do that. There are ways not to do that, right? So what blocks that flow that will ease my reinvention is thinking too much about me. Like I said, uh, my well-being, my comfort, my productivity, my this, my that, my things, right? As one of my clients said yesterday, we were, we were talking about exactly about this concept. And I said, I know every room you turn to, there you are with you again, right? Like everywhere I go, it's me again and more me and more me, more of my, and he said, and he said, so well, he said, how much me can I take, right? So, and unfortunately that me blocks the flow and we know it, it creates anxious feelings. It creates feelings of depression. It creates, um, and we, we're all feeling some of that some of the times. The other thing that blocks that flow is resistance to change. So like I said, wanting to go back, right? What blocks the flow is saying, I want to hang on to what I know. I want to hang on to what was comfortable for me. The hardest thing we can do is let go. And the more, the more, the more clarity or certainty we can embrace that good can come out of this, the the more accepting we are of that change, the more, the more likely we are to, um, to re allow the, the unfoldment, the revealing of what's next for me. The other thing that interferes with my flow is the self-judgment. I didn't do enough of this. I wanted to do that. I should have walked. I should have worked out. I should have eaten well. I should all over myself, right? Like, and, this, and this idea that, oh, in this one, hour, one I don't know, 16, 18-hour day, all the things I wanted to happen should have happened and I should have done all my work and I should have been present with my kids. And, and that self judgment 
is down spiraling, right? It's really hard to break out of that. And so one, um, if I can inject a couple of tips here on the self-judgment and the, and the self-care, right? <laughs> Which is make yourself a crazy wish list. Like in one day, I want to accomplish all these things. I want to read. I want to listen to a podcast. I want to work out. Write this crazy wish list and then spread it out over three days. And I did this for myself. I can't tell you how powerful it was. Because at the end of the day, at the end of every day, I was counting all the things I didn't do today, right? And it shifted from, wow, I did everything I wanted to do twice this week. That's amazing. <laughs> so make your wish list, spread it over three days. So everything you want to do in one day will happen every third day. Ooh, the other so uh, idea is, you like that? I love that. That's really good information. <laughs> the, the other thing is, one, no non-negotiable and, and, and only one non-negotiable at a time, which means there's only one thing I absolutely insist on doing today, right? And whether for some it's like, I'll give, an, I'll give a personal example. I discovered uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza's meditations four months ago. I did the first one uh, on uh, uh, Christmas week and it'll be, it'll be four months this week and I have not missed a day. There an hour long. Okay. I never had a meditation practice. So I'm not someone telling you I've been meditating for 20 years. Never like 12 minutes would have been a stretch. Okay. And, but, and so when I discovered something that really made me feel good, I immediately made it my non-negotiable. So it's been my non-negotiable for months. So I will give up a lot of things, including exercise, including a lot of things. I'll give up a lot of things. I never give up my meditation. Now, I've been doing it for four months. It can't be my non-negotiable anymore because I want to stretch to the next non-negotiable. It's not a stretch for me anymore because I won't miss it. I don't want to miss it. So now I have to pick my next non-negotiable. And maybe my next non-negotiable is taking a 15-minute walk every day, right? I can only pick one at a time or else I'm adding to the list and creating more opportunities for self-judgment, which will downward spiral my self-care, right? So one non-negotiable at a time. And That's I, awesome. And if I can introduce a couple more things that my clients have found really helpful, as have I, is the 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 third the um one the one of those is prioritize the feeling you want. Okay. So I want to feel calm today. I want to feel energized today. I want to feel rested today. I want to feel creative today whatever that feeling is for you, prioritize the one feeling, right? This is a one thing exercise, right? Prioritize the one feeling. Then identify the thoughts that do not, that, 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 that you will not allow to interfere with that feeling. Let me give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, I went through a phase of, this is effing hard, <laughs> okay? And for a few days, I was like, this is hard, right? And, uh, and then I realized I haven't been feeling great these past few days. So I wake up one day, I'm like, I'm done with this. I write down the feeling, the thought that produces that feeling, right? This is effing hard produces a feeling of defeat, right? So I write down that thought. This is fucking hard, okay? <laughs> and, 
And I promise myself that I will not let that thought produce that feeling today. And it worked. It worked. I had a great day. And since then, I have not allowed that thought to enter my mind. Right? And, and, the, and, um, and finally, and this is probably the cherry on top to it all, um, it's about others. Giving opens your flow. And, and we don't see people. It's hard to do things for people. We're not having dinner with them. We're not taking them. We're not going to their birthday party. There's a lot of things that we're not naturally doing for others, but giving in, in, uh, opens that flow and it creates a circuitry and a connection of all of us. So one of my clients, we were just talking about his mood and his energy and he's a CEO um, of a small business. And and I said, I gave him an objective that week, which was a couple of weeks ago, to every morning text 10 people. And not elaborate, how are you feeling? How are you managing through all this? I was thinking about you, what's going on? Text 10 people. He did it five days in a row. Some days it was 12, some days it was 17. And did it five days in a row. Next session, he's, he says, wow, that totally changed my day. I got into conversations with people I care about. I got into conversations with people I hadn't talked to in a while. In fact, he said he played text roulette on his phone where he just spun the list up <laughs> and he just dropped his finger and right there he checked on that person, which is an interesting concept. And, he, and then uh, he came back with what that evolved into, which I want to share and I've been sharing with other clients since, which is really powerful. He said, I want to do this in a three, two, one. I connect with three people. I get two things off my to-do list. I have one non-negotiable. This builds momentum. It may not seem like a lot. We want to cross 15 things on our to-do list. But when we cross off two and that was our goal, it builds momentum. And, and that's really what it's about. Right now, it's about identifying who you want to be coming out of this whenever we're coming out of this. What are the feelings you want to have? How do you want others to experience you, remember you throughout all this? And whatever you set for yourself, it doesn't matter if you stop. It does matter if you, it's, if you start again. And that's all that matters. Whatever you set for yourself, whatever intentions, objectives, we all thought we're writing a book. Some of us are, some of us are not, right? Um, but whatever it is for you, just start again. Start again and start again. Every day, just start again. Because all the flow, the effort, the energy, the commitment, the presence, all of that will reinvent you. Wow. Awesome. Okay. This is amazing. I just want to make sure I have all this for my little notes when I talk to you at the end. So thank you. That is absolutely unbelievable. I love the three, two, three, two, one, and I'm going to make sure everybody gets to the end of our, our podcast here so that they can get to that. You're totally amazing as always. And I know that about you and Thank you so much for spending your time with us, and I'm glad that you're well. And I'm looking forward to your, as you say, you're reinventing as you go along as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing to what that is. Thanks so much, Tanya. Thank you, Leslie. It's so nice to talk to you as always. So thanks everybody for joining us on Reinvent Yourself with Elsie Jane Seymour. And I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Tanya. She's simply amazing. 
She always says things that are so profound and yet gives you very easy, understandable steps towards getting there. I particularly love the idea of texting 10 people a day. I've been calling three people a day, but I had not thought of texting. I love that idea. I think it's great. And if you enjoyed our discussion, I hope that you will subscribe to our podcast and bring friends in. We want to grow. We want to bring more of our discussion about how to reinvent yourself to the world, especially now that we know that reinvention is going to be more vital than ever to every single person. So please share the podcast, leave us a comment, give us a review. And I hope that you will scroll back, look at all the different people we've interviewed. And I hope that you will also stay with us going forward. If you know of somebody who you think would be a great reinvent yourself story, You can write to me, Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y at CoveyClub.com. And also, I'm now looking for people who can talk to us about how different sectors are going to change going forward. Because, yes, we can talk about how people have reinvented in the past, but as we all know, what does that sector look like now? And what kind of skills do we need to bring to it in order to succeed now? which is going to be quite different. So thank you for your time. And I hope that you will join us again. Take care.